When Bill and Troy are away, who knows what Robbie may say. (laughs) That was actually the joke that we had at our planning meeting for this sermon over a month ago. Both pastors, Troy and Bill, are away, so I get the nod. And we saw that next Sunday is to all generations Sunday. So we thought to do two topical sermons, one this week and one next week, addressing the generations in our church. Also funny, the younger is addressing the older, which is why I'm wearing a tie, by the way. And also I want to point out, this is my wedding tie. So nothing but the best for the older generation. And next week, the older will address the younger. To All Generations Sunday is us intentionally highlighting the multiple, uh, the multi-generational nature of our church. We are not uniform in age, nor uh, is, this, or is this church operated for one group of people over another. All generations should be valued equally Um, here before God and should have a critical contribution according to God's word. Before we turn our attention to the generations in the Titus 2 instructions concerning, concerning the design of the church, let's start by asking an even more basic question, which is part A on your outline. What is the church? The identity of the church is directly tied to the identity of Jesus Christ. There would be no church without Jesus because he founded the church, and the church is to reflect his character and his mission. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus from the Bible is that of a shepherd. The book of Hebrews closed last week with Jesus being called the great shepherd of the sheep. That means that Jesus is our shepherd, tender and tough, and every Christian is his sheep, and the church together is his flock. I remind you what Pastor Troy said last week, the New Testament compares the church to sheep, which is unflattering. The New Testament doesn't call us elephants with a great memory. We are not dogs who are loyal. We're not even ants who naturally cooperate. We're undiscerning, vulnerable, easy prey. Frankly, we need a shepherd to stay together and away from harm. So let me tell you a story about this beloved shepherd and his sheep. The great shepherd ran at a full sprint from his barn. Not a hired hand, but the great shepherd himself. He found no sheep on the path that led from his heavenly pasture. Without a second thought, he left the security of the path and the surrounding grasslands and ran down the hill toward the abysmal and dark thicket of forest with the cliffs just beyond. No sheep were in sight. So he entered the forest, pushing past the undergrowth and the briars. He searched and he searched, pushing farther and farther through the mayhem of poor light, hanging vines, fallen trees, until at last he found what he was searching for. 
But when he found them, they no longer looked like sheep. The first he found past the forest, bruised and scratched with barren spots of skin, missing wool. The sheep had wandered out of the forest, slipped on exposed roots and tumbled down crags of rocks, and lay motionless on a small rock shelf overlooking a sheer drop. The great shepherd found another, gasping for air in the middle of a large mud pit. The sheep had slipped into the pit, and there was an earthen berm around most of the pit, and the mud was slippery, so he could not climb out. The sheep had drifted to the center, which was too deep and slippery to stand, so the sheep was on the verge of drowning. And another the great shepherd found upside down on its back, unable to move, because the sheep was carrying a heavy burden. Its coat of wool, which had shaggily overgrown without proper care. The sheep had tripped and now lay distressed because of dehydration. In each situation, the sheep were found in a place they never should have been. They were in the dark forest, not the pasture. In each situation, the sheep could do nothing to fix their dire circumstance. They didn't know it, but the sheep needed a shepherd. So the shepherd came running, finding each one in their slavery and on the precipice of death, and he rescued them all. He jumped down and he pushed up the sheep on the edge of the cliff. He dove in and he dragged the sheep out of the mud. He grabbed the fleece and he rolled the sheep back onto its legs. And he put each one on his back carrying them out of the forest and back to the path through the pasture. He fed the sheep, he cleansed the sheep, he healed their wounds. But all this effort for the sheep caused his own demise. The shepherd died rescuing his sheep, his blood spilt for their new life. But Hebrews 13.20 also reminds us, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd rescued and assembled this flock by his own death. But he powerfully rose again. Now he's departed to his heavenly pasture to prepare for his flock to graze in forever. So what is the church? Your first blank. The great shepherd's flock of sheep. It's the people who Jesus has personally rescued from their sin, leading to death through their own faith and repentance. <clears throat> but the church should not be standing still. Bringing back the sheep illustration, the flock is not to remain in the grasses, but is to walk along the path toward the great shepherd's heavenly pasture. Although the shepherd is not physically with the flock, he has left them the spirit to unite them and sanctify them. And he is appointed under shepherds to serve and lead his flock on their behalf. The great shepherd has appointed these pastor elders to shepherd each local church. The local flocks are to be led from within by these elders in the mold of the great shepherd's character and following his example of sacrificial service. But they not only lead from within the flock, but they stand guard on the outside to protect the sheep 
from enemies? Why are the appointed elders men in the great shepherd's design? Well, if you think about the context of the first century in which churches were new, informing in generally hostile context, appointing men as leaders put targets on their backs. The great shepherd is not sexist, but he calls men to physically die first if needed to protect his flock, just like Jesus did. And beyond the elders, the great shepherd has designed the relationships among the flock to bring life and encouragement, to help fight sin and temptation, and to help each individual sheep in the flock to reach the heavenly pasture. So if the church is the people of God, whom the great shepherd has personally rescued, and the church, or flock of sheep, is not to remain stagnant, B, what is the mission of the church? Your next blank. Discipleship on two fronts, within the flock and outside of the flock. Discipleship is the training of those who are already believers to become more like Jesus. And then it's those believers doing evangelism, missions, and good works to spread the grace and the influence of the Great Shepherd to everyone that we meet as we journey along the way to our heavenly pasture. The church is God's rescued people whose mission it is, whose mission it becomes to make other disciples of all nations as they are personally rescued by Jesus. Now this is the mission statement of our church, which is on our website, and it's summarized on the front of our bulletin or our worship guide. We are a community of Christ-exalting disciples on mission to worship Him and make Him known to others. Now that's the summary statement. Discipleship on two fronts. And the statement continues. We strive to grow together in faith and in the knowledge of God as He has revealed Himself through His Word. That's discipleship within the church. And then to connect people with the body of Christ in discipling relationships and to share the gospel in our community and around the world. That's discipleship outside the church as it currently exists. So discipleship on two fronts. That is the church's mission. And now we turn to the brief letter of Paul to Titus, which also helps answer, provides more details to these questions that we have asked. The main theme of Titus is the inseparable link between our beliefs and our behavior. As one pastor put it, the gospel that we believe will affect our behavior if we truly believe it. Titus was sent to the island of Crete to organize new local churches, and this letter is basically the blueprint for what those churches are to look like. So Paul's first concern, as you read the letter, is for Titus to appoint the correct church leaders. Look at Titus 1.5. 
That is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what follows is a description of what these elders are to, are to be like. We've already discussed. The elders must lead from within uh, by the mold of Jesus' character, and they must protect from without, being willing to sacrifice themselves for the flock. So then the question is, um, who should the uh, elders be protecting the flock from? Well, that's the second half of chapter 1. The false teachers are described. And then we flip over to chapter 2. Paul explains God's design for the local church. And as, as we read the 15 verses, there are three categories of people that Paul assumes is in every church that Titus is going to organize. So first, there are older and there are younger people. And Paul instructs them both. Older believers are addressed first in verses 2 and 3. And then younger believers are addressed in verses 4 through 8. So we have older and younger. We also have men and women. And they each have distinct roles explained in the first eight verses. And then we have bondservants and masters in verses 9 through 10. Now, this is not really analogous to a modern slave and master relationship, and it's not really an employee-employer relationship either, but maybe if you could somehow put them both together, it's a combination. I think Paul's point, though, is that rich and poor, the least and the greatest of society, will be in the same church. So, we have a church full of these various groups of people, which makes a culture of discipleship nearly impossible when everyone is different. Old and young, men and women, poor and rich, cannot be assimilated together apart from the gospel. That is why verses 11 through 15 are essential. They anchor the church design in gospel truth. So look at verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The all refers, refers to the all kinds of people that compose the church. Skip down to 14. Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The great shepherd came running into the forest of sin and death to rescue his sheep, to make them whole, to purify them. They are a people for his possession, who live their lives not devoted to the way they used to live, but now they're within the flock. Look at verse 12. They are being trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. As Susan Hunt has written, Jesus appeared in grace and he will appear in glory. Between the two appearings, we are to make disciples. 
So again, this design for the local church would be impossible without the great shepherd running and rescuing and assembling his people. Look at the end of verse 14. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Since we are changed by the shepherd rescuing us, we are to devote ourselves zealously to good works. But the question is, what are the good works? Well, Paul gives us instructions in verses 1 through 10. How to display gospel truth in your life as you interact with all these different kind of people in the church. That's the good works that Paul expects us to produce. So, on your outline, maybe next to A and B, I would add the verses Titus 2, 11 through 15. I omitted them on accident. But for sections A and B, Titus 2, 11 through 15 are really the basis for the answers to those questions. Now, part C. How is the older generation meant to fulfill the mission of the church? Now, this is a very nice outline. Um, Pastor Bill actually wrote this ABC outline for me while we were at Pounders. Now, the best sermon meetings are Pounders meetings, okay? And he also told me this. There is a specific role that you, as older believers, are meant to fill. And if you don't do it, it simply won't get done and our church will suffer for it. So Jesus has personally saved each one of us. And the church is something that we belong to because Jesus has put us in it. And some of you have been part of the flock for longer than others. So in fact, new sheep are still being found by Jesus. He's still saving and adding to his church and who better to assimilate the new sheep to the flock than those who have been part of the flock the longest? So Paul's instructions boil down to two things for the older generation. Doing and being. So first, Paul is more concerned with being or who you are. So number one, your next blank. The older are to model Jesus' character. The older are to model Jesus' character. Now again, remember Titus, the letter, is about behavior matching beliefs. So Titus 1.1, the letter begins, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So, see the connection? Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. So, what you do flows out of who you are. The longer that you are in the flock, the closer that you get to the heavenly pasture, the more that you should reflect the shepherd's character. In Christ, getting older should, should coincide with greater godliness. In 2.1, we see that Titus's teaching must contrast with the false teachers just described at the end of chapter 1. 
So in 2.1, it says he is to teach sound, or that's another word for healthy gospel doctrine, which leads to healthy gospel character in verses 2 and 3. So verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now, getting older is natural, but growing in godliness is not natural. It takes effort on our part. Erica has said to me before that she's curious what I will be like as an old guy because she knows I've got some particularities now as a young guy, and those tend to follow you and grow as you age, don't they? So, like, I hate sand. But I especially hate walking barefoot on sand on the floor of my house. I grumpily attack that with a vacuum no matter what time of day. So I don't want to be old and grumpy for Erica's sake. But I think that is what is implied here based upon the character traits mentioned by Paul. Men, be sober-minded, i.e., don't be driven to extremes. Be dignified, worthy of respect. Be self-controlled. And women, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. The word sound is repeated in verses 1 and 2. So Titus is to teach what is sound or healthy, and the older men are to live with a healthy faith, love, and endurance. So to the older people, Paul says, do not use your age and experience to look down on others. Instead of complaining about what is wrong, teach what is good. To be able to ask for respect, you need to be worthy of respect. So sanctification, or becoming more like Jesus, is essential to take full advantage of your age and the experiences that the Lord has given you. you got to be like Jesus before you can help others do like Jesus. So as an example, take these verses in Titus and pray through them. Take some focused time to think about the character traits that Paul mentions. To confess times that you haven't acted like Jesus in the ways described. And pray for the Spirit to help you display Jesus' character the next time Uh, you are put in a similar situation. So let me confess, I need to put more prayer and effort in before the next time I step on sand in my house. So I don't vacuum in a huff because I'm mad at Erica for one spot of sand by the back door. And by the way, we have a five-year-old, two dogs, and we live in Florida where everything is sand. So I need to spend some time thinking about these verses and praying before the next opportunity. So to be a model of Jesus' character, it takes a lot of effort on your part and a lot of intervention on the Spirit's part over time to change you. 
When the shepherd rescued you and delivered you and put you into his flock, he cleansed and he purified you. But still entrenched in your heart are patterns of sinful habits from your old life in the forest. Only the Spirit of God, working together in you and in the other sheep, plus your effort over time, can change what sin has made a pattern in your heart. So to those who are younger, to those who are dancing between the two categories, invest in efforts of sanctification now that will flower into godly patterns as you naturally age. Because it takes effort to model Jesus' character. But to the older, as you model Jesus' character, second, the older are to seek and mentor the younger. Men to men and women to women. That's your next blank. The older are to seek and mentor the younger. Now, each local church is designed to be intergenerational so it can posture itself to spread God's glory into the future. So if you think about it, the church is constantly changing. It is never stagnant because the Lord is saving people and the Lord is calling other people to himself. So there's people coming in, there's people going out, but who provides the stability in the church? The older, the everyday walking with Jesus, gospel faithfulness over time. But interestingly, who's older in the church is also constantly changing. So when you're young, you need to learn from the old. And when you're, you become the old, you need to mentor the young because they will be the old very soon. Starting at the end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women. And what follows are the character traits that younger women are to learn as they are mentored by the older women. To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then in verses 7 and 8, Titus is exhorted to model Jesus' character to the church. So what I find interesting in the design is that Titus and the elders are to lead the discipleship effort by teaching and modeling gospel truth. But there is a role to play for every single member of the flock. A discipleship culture should exist within our local church to where every member is dependent on another member of the church. Because, Pastor Troy would say, every member is a minister. And the older should follow the elder's lead by encouraging and mentoring the younger to follow Jesus. So if you're an older member of this church, you are an essential member of this church. We need you, and coming from me, a young guy, I need you 
So please be open and available to, those, to mentor those who are younger than you. And this applies to every generation of us. There is always someone younger than you. What a great blessing of wisdom you can give to someone younger than you. Now I said for the older to seek and mentor the younger because I think the expectation from the text is that the older would put in the effort to develop relationships with the younger to mentor them, but it's also a two-way street. So please be open and available if a younger person approaches you for mentorship. Because I read a story of a young woman who approached an older woman seeking help in her spiritual walk. Uh, The younger woman knew the older one. She had observed her godly life. But of course, she was still uh, nervous asking the older woman so that she could enter her life. She picked the time and place. She described what she appreciated about the older woman, but she was rejected by the older woman because of her busy schedule. So she left in tears and devastated. Only later did the older woman confess that it wasn't the busy schedule that was the reason she said no. She was scared that she couldn't do what the younger one asked. So if you're older and you want to get in on the game, uh, of mentoring, following the biblical mandate, but you feel unequipped or inexperienced, let me encourage you. If you're a model of Jesus' character, not perfect, but you're actually still growing more like Jesus, the younger don't need you to produce something to give them. The younger do not need you to write a New York Times best-selling program What the younger need is actually just you. Think about our church. How many in our military community are away from their parents, their grandparents, the spiritual mentors that they had in the formative years of their life who have now moved here? How many of the younger in our church no longer have living parents? Or whose parents are not even Christians? Is there a void of mentorship that you could fill? Because your next blank is, mentoring is spiritual parenting. We need older women to be spiritual mothers to younger women in the faith. We need older men to be spiritual fathers to younger men in the faith. Now, maybe us younger people have unrealistic expectations of what you can actually do for us. But that's further proof that we need your wisdom and your discernment and your experience. It is not a reason not to pursue us. You can add balance to our expectations You can point us to our great shepherd and his finished work. Now, we don't need more staff-led programming, top-down initiatives, another Bible study. We need older folks mentoring younger folks to spiritually parent someone younger than you. So let me offer three quick 
suggestions. A, B, C. Open your life. Invite someone younger to what you already do so that your godliness can show in everyday life. And since it's everyday life and you drop a carton of milk on your toe and it explodes in your kitchen and you say some salty things, model what godly repentance looks like in everyday life. Or have people in your home, not as a big unrealistic event so that the younger people could never replicate it, but just as normal, easy hospitality. Consider the role of a mother and a father and then do that. Because mentoring does not need to be formal, a formal event on your calendar. It's done best in the day-to-day, the informal, the mundane, simply walking with other sheep after Jesus. So don't let the fear of other people's opinions of your messy house rob you of the joy of mentoring. Obey God, not the image that you want to keep. So thank you for this point, Aurelia. B, share your skills. You older people aren't just spiritually mature, but you know how to do things and you have the experience to prove it. Marry the skills that you have and then spiritual maturity, and that's mentoring. Men, it may be harder for you to open your life, but you can share what you're good at. Teach somebody how to do something and talk about Jesus along the way. Parents share their lives and their skills with their children, and spiritual parents do the same. So open your life, share your skills, keep it simple. We find ways to make our lives busy. So I'm not advocating blocking off time in September 2023 for you to lead a mentoring conference. Instead, consider consider the events of your calendar, the context to mentor younger believers. Sure, you can set scheduled times to meet uh, with younger believers. I can recommend to you study books that help in discussion. You can read a section of uh, scripture and pray together, but don't overlook the spur of the moment just spending time together. It does require intentionality, though. So consider the generation, uh, the treasure my generation loses while you try to figure out how to simplify what shouldn't be complicated in the first place. And two final thoughts to close. The first one to the older, and then the second to the younger. To the older. God has designed your sufferings, your joys, and even your failures to bless others. Because the gift that you can give the next generation in the church is your wisdom and your life experience. There was a time not too long ago when you had the ability and the energy to run every ministry in the church. But respectfully, now is not that time. Don't settle and don't coast in the mindset that you have already served your time. Instead, 
fill the role that God has intended for your stage of life. If you don't spiritually parent the younger, who will? You are not unequipped and you are not unqualified. Because the great shepherd has qualified you when he rescued you and when he equipped you with the Holy Spirit to walk with him. And you've been doing that for years. Please share what you've learned. Now to the younger. Value the, next, or the older generation and learn from their wisdom. Now, none of us in the room have parted the Red Sea or built a boat to save humanity, but we are in the presence of giants in the faith. Look around. Some of the ones with wrinkles and white hair have been following Jesus longer than we have been alive. Value them because they have much to give. It's, in fact, what we need. And that generation after us needs what they have too. So we have a lot to learn and they have a lot to give. So the not flashy life of obedience, the day in and day out repentance following sin. So to the younger, will you take a risk and will you pursue pursue a more mature sheep as we walk to the heavenly pasture together? So praise our great shepherd who rescued and assembled us. So let's seek to obey him, older and younger, together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the church that you have assembled, putting us as part of the church, not as some place to go, but a people that you have assembled and put us a part of. We praise you for that grace of running and rescuing and cleansing. But now we pray, Father, that the church would function as these instructions describe. May the church be an intergenerational um, body of believers who seek to sanctify and encourage and pass on the great stories and lessons from Jesus. So we pray that this is almost a, that this would have a culture of like a lab so that we can grow and we can seek Jesus together. May we learn from one another, Lord God, and help us younger learn from the older and help us younger understand that we will be expected to mentor the younger as well as we age. So God, we pray for this church and for your church into the future. May Jesus' glory continue to spread around the world and for generations to come. In his name we pray, amen.